show is brought to you by noble knight where out of print is available again and listeners like you thanks for using the tomes amazon and DD classics affiliate links hi i'm james wyatt one of the lead designers for fourth edition and author of eberron trilogy the draconic prophecies and you're listening to the tome show welcome to the tome a DD news reviews and interview show and i'm your tome host jeff greiner and I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 230, we're going to gather the elemental keys, face off against the red wizards, all so we can kill a... as we review Ghosts of Dragon's Fear Castle. So, uh, this adventure was originally released uh, as a Gen Con exclusive last August, as a collection of four adventures combined with a, a version of the D&D Next Playtest rules and a handful of pre-gens. So it should be sort of an all-in-one, everything you need to play the game. Uh, we weren't going to look at this adventure on the show since it was a Gen Con exclusive, and if you weren't there, you, there was no chance to get it, except they've recently made it available over at dndclassics.com as a PDF. So now we feel like it's an okay thing to review because it's possible for you to hear this, say, hey, I'm interested in that, and go out and buy it. But before we get too far in that review, uh, we should mention we're not here alone. Joining us in this episode is our favorite editor, Sam Dillon. <laughs> it's like you're, when you're the favorite only child. <laughs> hey, I do some editing every now and then. <laughs> and along with Sam, we have a behind-the-DM screen co-host and the main focus of this Mike Shea month of podcast recordings, Mike Shea. I love Mike Shea month. <laughs> it's my favorite month of the year. I wish every month could be Mike Shea month. Every month is Mike Shea month. Well, it is for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we get too far into the discussion, we should mention to ask you guys to support the show. First, if you like what you hear in tonight's review and want to buy the PDF of Dragonsphere Castle or any other of hundreds of D&D PDFs at D&D Classics, don't forget to go to the site through our link at thetomeshow.com so we can get a few pennies for your purchase. Secondly, you can help us out by supporting our sponsor, Noble Knight, a brick-and-mortar game store and an online game store which specializes in fighting out-of-print game books. Our pick for this episode is The North, a 1996 Forgotten Realms book that was used as source material for this adventure. It's long out of print and hard to find, so you'll pay $55 for the product, but it's a box full with three books and two poster maps, only at Noble Knight. And if you head that way for The North or anything else, be sure to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. That's what keeps them coming back. Hello! Hello, citizens! Oh, thank goodness! Adventurers! We need a noble knight! Perhaps you can slay the beast of retail and reap the promises of riches. Riches? Yes! Great prices, out-of-print games, the latest releases, and a magic box 
that converts all of your old loot into cash or new loot. But why? Fantastic. I'll do it. Yes. Well, you see, the beast, he kidnapped the mayor and can only be slain by the most noble of knights. Yes, yes, yes. I said I'll do it. Yes, the thing is, I was talking to her. What? Fear not, kind citizen. The noble knight will save the day, rescue the lord in distress, and liberate all that loot anyway only possible at Noble Knight. If you'd like to get your hands on Noble Knight's loot, head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the link in the show notes for this episode. And don't forget to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Ha, I got to do something to help out. And without any further ado, the adventure, Ghosts of Dragonspear Castle. Or rather, the adventures, right? It's like, it's four adventures. Mm-hmm. It's a whole pile of stuff. It's a it, it, and and a four adventures and a setting booklet and a how to play document and pregens all together. Four adventures, three that go together, and one that's just kind of <laughs> thrown on. But anyway, well let's let's get into that, Sam. What is the story of the Ghost of Dragon Spe- Dragon Spear Castle adventures? Well, the overarching story for the first three adventures is that. There are some red wizards that – red wizards of Thay, which are sort of an iconic Forgotten Realms villain group. Mm-hmm. They want to get some elemental keys. These are items that have been sealed away in certain shrines, and they are now coming after them. And the players get involved. Are we, and, are we spoiling or are we not spoiling? Oh, we're spoiling. I'm spoiling. Yeah, we're going to spoil. So they are elemental keys tied to the, yeah. tied to the four – uh, elemental princes for the five right. elemental princes. Yeah. Right. And so uh, the then there's another sort of overarching story of this Rakshasa, which has a an enemy in the main patron the main the main sort of character who is a patron to the PCs whose name is Istval. Which who who should not be unknown for anybody who's been paying attention to the Sundering stuff, right? Right. Oh, he's right. in he's in all the promo videos. He's yeah, in the he's, he's in the D and D mobile game. Up. I, yeah, I do too. He's, yeah, he's the guy with the cane and a limp. Okay, yeah. so he he's a patron to the party. He's sort of the person that gets the party involved in everything that's going on in this region. And he has an enemy in a rakshasa, and that rakshasa has decided after he has now recently come back from his his time in the nine hells that he wants to punish. Istval, who is a paladin. And so his way to punish Istval is to assist the Red Wizards without them knowing so that it puts Istval into a position where he is going to have to end up sacrificing himself. There's the story in a nutshell. Yes. Um, the first three adventures are heavily tied to the first part of that, which is the Red Wizards trying to get the elemental keys. And the last adventure, the one that I said is tacked on because it's tacked on, is the one where the Rakshasa finally reveals himself and lures Istval and the party to a particular place at a particular time to do a particular ritual to, to condemn the paladin into hell. And it's the player's job to stop that from happening. Right, and that's that's the the last little bit, and, mm-hmm. and it's actually one of the more 
I don't know, uh, not self-contained things about about the adventures, right? Is that mm-hmm. the first three adventures are all about stopping the Red Wizards from getting these elemental keys and failing. You're you're expected yeah, right. to, you're expected to fail mm-hmm. every single one adventure. Of my, one of my big problems, right? Yeah. And then yeah, and then the too. fourth one is is about concluding this B plot with the Rakshasa, mm-hmm. and you never actually conclude the elemental key plot because that's going to be a 2014 encounter season, yeah, which isn't right. in here. But you can fool your players into thinking they have resolved partially that elemental key thing because, surprise, surprise, spoiler alert, at the end, after defeating the Rakshasa, the Red Wizards show back up. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Or you can just <laughs> let them solve the problem. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, well, nothing says you can't change the adventure. Yeah. Well, of course, that, but that's a different story. We're not reviewing the adventure as Mike Shea would have his group play it. Well, I'm not saying, I don't know how they're going to play it out. Well, and that's, 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 fun of it. that's something, I mean, I went through this thing at first just with an open eyes and, and saying, okay, how would I run this? And then it very quickly became clear to me that I'm going to have to make changes if I ever run it. But before I, we, I already am making changes right. and running it, so Be- yeah. Before we get too far down the rabbit hole of here are some problems we have with the with the adventure, <laughs> let's talk about the things we do like about the adventure. It's going to be a long list. I have a lot of things I like too, so yeah, I, I have. I do as well. Really long lists. So let's let's Mike tell us what you like about the adventures. Uh, I like that it has the two main components of a Dungeons and Dragons adventure. Dungeons and Dragons. It has dungeons and it has dragons. Multiple. Yes, and that's every more adventure than I is a dungeon, say. and every almost I think almost every adventure has the potential no, for a dragon. State has neither. No, I'm talking about in this book though. All, all four. But I'm comparing book. it to another D and D next adventure that came out recently, yes. Baldur's Gate, which has neither a dungeon nor a dragon in it, unless you add them in. So I, I would give them props for for sticking to their name. Um, I actually, I think it's a good, so yeah, I, I actually, I always kind of look at adventures as a toolkit for me to steal stuff to make my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't, I don't run them. I've, I don't think I've ever run a module as it's, as it's written. And, um, this one gives me, you know, I, I keep comparing it to Baldur's Gate cause I'm running Baldur's Gate right now and Baldur's Gate isn't giving me a whole lot, but this one gives me some NPCs that I can use. It gives me some interesting locations that I can have parties go to. It, it gives me some, um, story, you know, some story threads, some plot threads that I can use. Uh, I like, I like the villains. Um, I love anything that has to do with the elemental princes. Um, so, so there's a lot, and I, I like, uh, I like this, the town because it's not huge. Um, I, I'm I'm I have a lot of trouble with city you know city based adventures where it you know the city takes seventy two pages to describe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's I can't even keep track of it much less my players but when it's a small town uh, you know both both me and and I think players can uh, better understand how big it is mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and and work within it and so so as a toolkit like I'm I'm going to start running this this coming weekend and I'm excited to run it. Um, because I feel like I've, I've, I feel like it's got a lot of material in there that I can use. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I think I think the bones and and maybe even the the musculature to to carry on the metaphor poorly. Um, I think of the of the four <laughs> adventures is actually fairly solid. Yeah, um, yeah, there are issues that I have, and I wish there was a fifth adventure that would actually conclude. Like I like the the idea that you go through adventures one, two, and three, and there's this B plot that becomes the main plot for adventure four. I, just, I then wish I also then had Adventure Five that concluded the the A plot. You know, I think you will, right? Well, sure. No, no. Well, maybe, but not for the same group of, of PCs. 
Yeah, that's right. Oh because, yeah. Oh, you know, a couple ten PCs aren't going to show up and yeah. beat the hell out of everything that the oh, level. Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's so yeah so. I have several things I like. I I think that um, the way that they present the NPCs are varied and interesting. For example, there is one NPC, Baroness Crom, who is actually evil, but she is in a position where she's actually doing things that support the sort of what you would consider the good factions of the Avengers. She's evil, but she's not the bad guy. But she's not the bad guy, right? So that, that's kind of interesting. The way they did that's kind of a nice way to sneak that in and sort of teach people that it's okay to kind of have that. Um, they have, and depending on your opinion of of wilderness wandering monster things going on, that could be a good or bad thing. Depending, uh, I think mm-hmm. it's good that the way that they built it in because it has some sort of standard interesting things in it, along with just some just random crap. Um, I like the fact that there are different factions. There's lizardmen, bandits. The, the dragon that, that Mike mentioned, and then there's the red wizards. They have some neat terrain effects, you know, the swamp gas thing with mm-hmm, the beetle yeah. glands and all that kind of stuff. That's really interesting, the way that they did that. The magic items are varied and interesting, and it's not just some generic plus one sword or shield. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird, different stuff. Um, the ability to accidentally catch a disease from some of the creatures actually has some pretty horrible consequences if you ignore it or Um, curses in the second adventure curses in the second adventure um the as much as i think feel like there's a lot of railroadiness to to this um the opening scene of of the of the here's a huge you know spoiler i guess if it's right at the beginning but the you know they hang a red wizard in the public square and he has his eyes and mouth sewn shut that's pretty evocative (laughs) of holy cow like this is a major thing Mm -hmm. um i like that they put that in um there are some really cool um, things in the dungeon that are, you know, it's sort of, I see it as sort of training wheels where, you know, there's a lot of stuff there you can explore that's not necessary for you to explore. If you find cool things, it will help you, but they're not necessary to finish the adventure. Um, Mm -hmm. And that teaches people and and it rewards sort of searching around and being curious and also, on the other hand, being a little cautious. And so there's lots of really cool stuff like that. Especially in the first adventure, the second is also really good about mm-hmm. that. Um, the way they do the crypts, the, the the way that the crypts are built, it's really like a sort of traditional crypt. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of curses, spoilers. There's a lich and a Medusa, mm-hmm. and the Medusa's backstory is not like, oh, it's just a Medusa. Like, there's this right. huge race of Medusas. It's a really, you know, because we talked about that on one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. But there's a room with pools, and I mean, you know, there's a lot of traditional sort of D and D trope stuff that's in here but evocative is, and in a way that makes sense that it's pretty cool the way that they do it mm-hmm. um by the time you get to the third adventure some of the same kind of elements that are really cool but by now it's it's, it's getting kind of old mm-hmm. and it's also the biggest dungeon and so i don't want to talk about negative stuff yet but uh so it's they still keep it but there's a lot more wrong with the third and fourth adventures than than with the first and second um, yeah. And then, of course, you know how I feel about the fourth adventure. It feels kind of tacked on. So, so that's kind of my list of good things. There's a lot of good stuff there. There is. That there I, is an absolute, I mean, I, yeah. I really liked the the dungeon construction in the first two. I thought they were they were really good. Uh, the mm-hmm. the second, the last two, just feel a little less evocative and a little less dynamic. Um, oh, and the the first dungeon also has a lot of foreshadowing. You know, it has mm-hmm. the part where you can find the dwarf skeleton. Which has one of the coins, which yep. you can use later on. That, that's really yeah. good foreshadowing. And if the players stop and pay attention and ask questions and try to recall lore and do all those things, they could learn a lot that will help them later on. If they yes. don't, it doesn't kill them. 
but it could help. So and, I and like at, that and they the did time, that. at the time, it feels like, oh, this is just a little tidbit that, that makes the world mm-hmm. feel a little more fleshed out. And then it, it right. actually comes into play like two, three mm-hmm. adventures later. Sure. And, and, I, and, I, and, and along with that, there are some red herrings, though, sure. that don't ever come into play, which is also good, right? Yeah. And you pointed out that there were multiple factions. And, and there's multiple factions in a way that, that I really like because mm-hmm. they're set up in a way that, that accomplishes something I, I always have a hard time doing myself. And that's you know having a, a group like the Red Wizards, who are the ultimate big bad guys. And, and they're a long, long ways away from home, so they're not coming in with their forces. They're coming in and manipulating and using the forces that are already there and manipulating the factions that are, already exist. And, and having all these different factions is showing an interesting way that the Red Wizards are manipulating what's there without it actually being their minions. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, overall, I feel like the first two, especially the first two, and and a little to some extent the third adventure, do a really good job feeling exploratory. You know, the mm. part of the problem I think a little bit of the criticism, or maybe a lot of the criticism that fourth edition got was it feels like all combat. They took out all of the things that make it feel exploratory, mm. and unless you had a really good DM, you might have lost that. Which means if you were a new player in a new group with a new DM, you might not have gotten that with 4th edition. And these three, the first the first two especially in the third adventure, kind of feel very exploratory, and they reward that exploratory behavior. And it really supports the idea that they said at the beginning of 5th edition when they were first developing, they said, well, you know, we want these three pillars, combat, exploration, and interaction between people. And I think they do a pretty decent job of getting all three of those in here. Mm-hmm. Anybody else have things they like they want to share? I liked that the most of the art was pretty good, and I know a lot of it. It seemed like a lot of it was the art uh, that they had commissioned, right? I to mean, like just flesh out the Forgotten Realms. I think well, it's all from all editions of D anD. d Right, it? that's what they said in yeah, the, in the forward. They talk about how they they pulled art from all editions of D anD. d and some concept art for next. I mean, yeah, I knew I knew some of it was the concept art, right? I'd seen it, but um, but it, was so, it was interesting seeing like on on the. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, it's interesting seeing on like the the an entry for orcs or whatever, and there's three different editions worth of pictures of orcs mm-hmm. on one page, and seeing how our vision of orcs have changed over the years. Yeah, right. And there are a lot of uh, female characters that mm-hmm. I would use in my game. Mm-hmm. There were in, in, in the art. Right, right. I actually have something that's not about the adventures, a couple of good things. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is, you know, the the bestiary, or bestiary, depending on where you're from. Uh, it actually has descriptions and a little, couple, few little notes on habitat and, and behavior from the creatures, which is, which is new to the playtest, because all the playtest bestiaries don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was a really nice thing for them to throw in. Uh, because if you you know if you pick this up you know if it's really meant to be a book that you can pick up and you can play this whole set of adventures from these things well if you don't know some of these creatures it's nice to have a description it's nice to have a little note about their behavior something more than mechanical junk right mm-hmm. so that was a really nice touch for them to throw that in and between four um, adventures and lots of like random encounter opportunities there's mm-hmm. actually a pretty good variety of creatures in in this book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
and the um and the and at the same time they didn't completely bloat it out with all you know i think the spell list it mentions that it's not every single spell that's ever going to be made for this edition or that even is available in the playtest packets it's just the ones that are pertinent to the gener- pre-generated characters and to the you know some of the characters in the in the actual adventures mm-hmm. which is a nice way to keep the page count a little bit lower you know so they you you could tell they put a list a little bit of thought into how they were going to lay this thing out mm-hmm. and and what they're going to do um and even though it's really just the playtest rules they did some parts of that really 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 well mm-hmm. and all in all i felt like they they were i wouldn't say that they like stepped out of the the narrative overly much but they they get they get just meta enough to give us a hint as to what they're doing and why sometimes in, in a way that i sort of appreciate mm-hmm. you know right especially with like the forward right you got a whole two pages or whatever it is maybe solid page or whatever explaining what the book is and how they how did it, they designed it and you know giving you a lot of insight into that but you'll get some more of that sort of sprinkled out throughout throughout the rest of it i mean i you know it's i think it's easy to one of the things I, I I criticize is that you know when we had this in our hands at Gen Con the the playtest was already out of date. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you were to if you just wanted to get a flavor for what D and D feels like and this is the one product you had you you could play a pretty good you know something that if you squint a little bit feels a whole lot like D and D with just the stuff that's in this book. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and that's pretty nice for a single a single PDF. Yeah. I don't know how much squinting I need to do, but there's some gaps I need to fill in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, right? It's like squinting is in like where the hell are skills and things like that. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, but remember, this was released with the well, I, I, that, that no right. skills. Yeah, so right. That's what I mean. Skills and feats right. are absent, and um, the 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 basically intelligence checks and ability checks replace everything, and then they have lores. So if you you know if you followed any and all you know any of the playtest packets, that's the sort of set that it is. Mm-hmm. It's the yeah. the set without skills and feats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, if but, you, right. But I was going to say, but having said that, when you look at the pre-generated characters, they don't feel empty, you know? Right. So, it, uh, like Mike said, you know, if you're coming from a background where you want to build out your character to 20 levels and you want all this complexity and feats and skills and all that, this is not going to make you happy. But if you're a brand new player or relatively new or you just want to really see what 5th edition is kind of going to be about and what, what the feel of D&D is, this probably will do a pretty good job of that. Although I would say I would be worried about this in the hands of a new DM. Mm-hmm. Yo, definitely. Particularly yeah. one, particularly one who's not already uh, familiar with the realms. I don't. I don't know that there are any good products today for a good for a new DM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. that's a big problem. Yeah, I don't, there's no on ramp. Right there now. are. Yeah. There's no on ramp. I mean, well, I, and I, I don't know if it was a conversation I recently had on on a recording, or if it was uh, something I read recently, or whatever. I think it might have been us talking about other game systems to play. Uh, and I think Mike, you might have mentioned it that there's everybody's just sort of assuming that DMs have played a while, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Thirteenth yeah. Age says it explicitly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can have new players, right? But you can't be a DM unless you've at least been playing for a while. And I think, I mean, I think that. Certainly, if you were to look at the and this is this is a little bit about this, uh, if you're going to look at the industry, if you're going to pick anybody other than Wizards of the Coast to get people started with RPGs, I mean, I don't know who you know. I guess you could pick Pathfinder. I know people that started D and D by starting with the Pathfinder beginner mm-hmm. box. Absolutely. Um, but other than those two, like you, you just can't expect that a new DM is really going to pick up anything else because they're not nearly as easy to find. Right. Yeah. The, well, I, the- I, 
Go ahead. I, I was just going to say the Paizo, uh, I forget what it's called, the Weeby Goblins. Mm-hmm. That's a good yeah. one. Mm. You know, the, 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 the reason that the Pathfinder Beginner Box is such a wonderful product, and I'm not a huge Pathfinder fan. I'm really, I'm, you know, it's just not, I'm, I'm also not a huge third edition fan, and they're very similar in a lot of ways. Um, right. But that product is so good because it specifically is meant to teach new DMs and new players how you know what the game is about, how to play it, and it makes it about as as easy as it can be for that. They did a stellar job with that product, and that is really the only kind of beginning RPG on the market, fantasy wise. I guess Dragon Age, the first box set, is really good for beginners. But if you didn't play the video game, which I did not, then the lore and some of the words and terms and things that seem like they should be understood, they're not mm-hmm. understood. Yeah, I guess, so, and, but, but I guess in fairness, I feel like that's not the audience for this product anyway. Right? That is, yeah, the, I don't, I don't know how a new player would find this. Right, I think I think this product is specifically designed for somebody who has been playing D and D and is interested in seeing what the new edition is going to be like, uh, and, yeah. and you know, playing a little bit of uh, a little bit of the new Forgotten Realms in, in the. Well, I, I only brought it up because Sam had said that. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. Uh, well, and I, I feel like this this product has a lot of homages that are there specifically for the sort of old school players. I think you're right. Um, the children, the the uh, what is the orc children and the half orc children that are in one of the dungeons. Um, a lot of the interesting um, sort of pseudo puzzles mm-hmm. and interesting treasures, like you can big spoiler again, you can seal the urns from one of the crypts, and the urns are really hefty and hard to move, but they're worth a lot of money. Mm. And you know, old school players do that. You know, fourth edition players, you didn't pick up the furniture. <laughs> you know, you didn't mm-hmm. you didn't pick up the furniture and take it out and try to sell it. You didn't roll up the rug and carry it out of the dungeon. But when you were playing first edition, you did that because you needed the money, partially because money went to experience, which it does not do in this edition. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's also some cool, um, interesting treasures that are sort of uh, there for, you know, just for kicks, like the, the, the music box of sobriety that <laughs> when you listen to it, it plays a sober tune and it makes you immediately sober. Or, you know, or the one kid from that, intoxication. Or the kid's of an iPod? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it's, you know, there are some really interesting sort of tongue-in-cheek or humorous kind of strange things, and the, that's very sort of old school mm-hmm. in feel. So, um, yeah. There's one other um, thing, too, that I, uh, that I wanted to mention that um, the two other things, actually. There's a really nice art piece that's an homage to the old player's handbook, yeah, where they have uh, some players, some PCs crawling on a on a crete on a statue and prying out the eye, and there's a dead lizard man mm. uh, down at the bottom. Um, and th- that's a really nice homage to the first edition mm-hmm. player's handbook. And then uh, there's a there's a really nice use of a of a magic item that has been used up. But if the players are astute and they're asking questions and looking around, they can learn about the lore of that magic item. And I thought that was a really kind of neat thing to throw in there because Mm -hmm. a lot of times the sort of more modern idea of magic items is, oh, you have it. It's magical forever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not the case. So. Cool. Any other things that we like before we get into uh, ranting and railing and and raving against it? I like the... uh the little Daggerford, Daggerford. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the little um, description of the city. 
mm-hmm. uh, the description of the town. You know, it's only a few pages long, um, which is actually exactly as much as I need. Right? I don't. Very I don't really consumable. want a giant book. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, I think it's what it's like. Yeah, it's like ten, eight pages or something like that. But it gives some, you know, again, like all the things that I kind of need as a DM. It gives me descriptions of some places where people can go, some interesting NPCs they can run into, and uh, you know, a nice, a nice map of the area. And the the map, you know, one one thing that I really need is I need a lot of interesting adventure locations, and I'll I'll make up the rest. Like I don't I don't, you know, I don't need my handheld too much. And as long as they kind of give me some starting seeds, and I think it gives me some good starting seeds. So I'm still really looking forward to running this. Although no map of the town, which I was disappointed. Uh, yeah, I guess. They could have put a little inset right. picture of sure. the town. Because so much of that overland map is wasted. It's mm-hmm. just wasted space. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's a lot of, yeah, I don't know. I think it's okay. But uh, yeah, of course it's okay. I mean, but n- I just, none of the adventures know. are urban. None of the adventures actually happen in the town. Right. So That's right. But if you're going to devote a whole 10 or 11 pages to talking about a location then yeah sure. they got they got a quarter page picture of fireworks going on do you think they could put in a little picture <laughs> yeah, yeah that's what i'm saying so <laughs> i agree with that i'd like that because a lot of times i like to print that out and stick it on the table and sure. be like here's the town yeah i mean that's the thing for me as a dm who cares i don't need a map because i can just make one up but if i just have it i can print it out or photocopy yep. it and give it to the players as a player yeah, map yeah. that's perfect it'll look better than what i can make so yeah exactly mine will be squiggly lines and rectangles right. so all right. Anyway. So I, now I get the impression from our pre-episode chit chat <laughs> that all four of us have issues with this book, um, and I think the four of us have variations of issues with the, this book. Like I don't know that the things that bother Sam are necessarily going to be the things that bother me, and vice versa. Um, so I'll be interested to have each of us go through and, and talk about the things that that we don't like about the book. Who wants to start? Let's let Tracy start, because I've been talking a lot, so has Mike. All right, Trace. So, you mentioned in earlier that uh, the North was a source book for this. It was and source material, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know how much of it was, because I haven't read that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of this feels like it stuck back then. It's like It feels like it was, it was designed back in 2nd edition? The like the characters and the tropes and the stereotypes and the return the, the return of rape works. Yes, <laughs> rape half works. Yes, um, and and all that stuff that actually makes it that I would not run it because uh, I'd have to change like every character mm. um, to make it something that I would want to play. <laughs> well, so let me. So um, actually, where it mentions the North. For those of you following along at home, it's on page 134, and it specifically is talking about the location source book part the of the... The part, yeah. The Daggerford part yeah. that Mike and I were just talking about. It says, this section incorporates material from Under Ilfarn, which is from 1987, from the North, from 1996, and from Under Ilfarn Anew, which was apparently unpublished. So it it is incorporating lots of old information, and some of those sources go back all the way to 1987. So it's not even mid-90s. It's mid-80s. Right. Like, I mean, because like, you have the Lich and her daughter, who are the only ones still kind of around. And the daughter's crypt uh, is a naked lady uh, surrounded by serpents. Mm-hmm. Um, and Very Adam, Adam and Eve. Well, and it's it's a it, it points to her having killed poisoned her hu- three husbands. Sure. 
And like the lizard queen has a mirror that makes her look younger. And that's like one of her prized possessions in her bed under her bed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the one woman who seems like she is both good and would be a good ruler isn't in place. Uh, the, Duke's sister. And, and is more or less yeah. not in place simply by fact by the virtue of the fact that she's she's a woman. Right. Right. And on which, top of it Which like, which, which she, might be fine in some settings, but the realms is not was not designed that way. Right. And like they have this cool introduction of her wearing pants, which is great, and like a nice smart shirt, but she's supposedly everyone thinks she's humorless and stern. Mm-hmm. Like, they just give nothing to anyone. Well, and then, I don't know if you read the location part, but it turns out that there's a, a woman in Daggerford who is the the wizard who was the main advisor to that Duke, the Duke family or whatever. And she's considered this old, basically an old hag by some people, but she really gets along with the Duke's older sister and no one can figure out why. But we never hear anything about that woman except in the location part. That was one of my complaints was, why did, why did we not hear about her she sounds like an extremely interesting npc that could be extremely helpful and provide some sort of interesting different perspective and yet we don't get to know anything about her she gets a paragraph in the location part and they she happens to be really good friends with the the one who is stern but yet everybody respects her right and the thing is like so it's kind of cool that the female dragon is out doing badass things apparently while her (laughs) But, like, it just, it also feels very stereotypical of, like, but her husband, her, not even husband, her male mate, her mate. is at, is back in, uh, I don't know what they would call it. The lair. The lair. The lair. Well, it's like a den more. I don't know. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> taking Dun- care of the nursery. It's the nursery. <laughs> take, taking care of the, the eggs. And then daddy, and it's even in quotes loses one and like <laughs> loses his mind and kills a bunch of lizard folk because he thinks they must have taken the egg or killed it or something. Right. But like the the fa- the the daddy can't even take care of his young ones, which is such also a stereotype. Well, and their eggs. It's not even like they've hatched and they're running around and trying to escape from him or something. <laughs> like they're right. just <laughs> yeah. eggs they haven't sitting there. there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Such an incompetent father that he can't even watch the things that sit still. What yeah, <laughs> so and that kind of bothers me. Somebody ripped it off, right? Yeah, yeah. The uh, red, the red wizard. The red wizard had had yeah, somebody, had somebody steal it, it yeah. so that he could that, so they could use it to uh, to basically blackmail the dragon into getting helping him get the altar. Right. And like, I do like the fact that if. If the players decide to find the egg and decide not to kill it right away and it hatches, the little wormling will uh, bond bond with them like a little duckling sort mm-hmm. of thing. And that could be humorous at the table. I totally get it. And I think that's cool. But the other stuff, I don't know. It just it, it's too. Well, I liked that thing where the egg, the, the, the wormling would hatch and everything and then bond. But um, they're using the wrong terminology because then when it sees another black dragon, it suddenly runs to it. It's like, no, the whole idea is this thing did not look in a mirror and say, oh, you look like me, so I'm going to bond to you. It was hatching and it bonded to the first thing that it could see that was a living thing. 
right. and then all of a sudden it sees a black dragon and it suddenly goes away. It just and, uh, and, it, and it was it was it was an easy way to take that sort of treasure thing away from the characters, but like it right. just didn't make well, sense. I'm a little more willing to to forgive it because first of all, it, you're discussing the the physiological drive of a mythical creature that that's you know innately magical, right? Yeah, uh, so. and, and and also innately evil because it very specifically details you know over slowly over time as as this thing follows them through more and more combat how it starts getting more vicious and starts eating the dead and and doing all kinds of horrible things Mm. right um and i i guess i have less of an issue with the whole stereotype bad father situation only because if the roles were reversed i think it would be worse like if you had the 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 female dragon was the one that to always stay at home and take care of the eggs and, and and all and then was so incompetent to lose it i feel like that would have been a worse stereotype to play up to but then maybe that's not quite the way the adventure should have been written. Like, that situation doesn't have to happen. No, but it's fun to have that the egg taken away, and, and the blackmail plays into it right. in an interesting but way. But the thing is, the egg can get taken away without it being... Portrayed uh, as incompetence? Some, yeah, that yeah. one of the parents is incompetent. Sure. Yeah, yeah it could. Well, just like, like you could portray, you could portray that thing hatching and "quote unquote" bonding, and then not so easily just running away as soon as it sees another dragon, right? And then, and the thing I know we already brought it up, but the rape half orcs really bothers me because they don't use the word rape; they yeah, just they say or breeding stock and mm-hmm. forced to mate mm-hmm. <laughs> with the orcs, and mm-hmm. I have real issues with that because, like. I don't know. It just seems to cheapen it all. Well, and I get that. Um, and, and, and I think they're walking a fine line. Because on one hand, they're introducing a really horrific concept like rape into a game. Which is possibly best just avoided altogether. Mm-hmm. And then they're using it. And, and, and they're using it and they're making the people doing it. You know, they're absolute villains and they're horrific and they're evil in every way, shape, and form. As, as somebody would be if they were doing that. Um but then they're doing it, but they, they're they not willing to go all the way to actually call it by name. And, well, and then on top of well, it, it's and like then the, they're both trying, both groups are trying to now find a future together now that they have children that can carry on their name. Right. And then and then at, at the end, once again, major spoilers, but at the end, if you, you know, you basically can free the dwarves, but then it says in there, the dwarves don't want to leave. They don't want to get rid of their half-orc children. They don't want to leave. They don't want to get rid of their orc captors because they still believe it's the future of their race or whatever. And it's sort of like, well, what? <laughs> well, I, I got I got out of it that they didn't want to get rid of their children. I'm, I'm not sure that I uh, read into it that they wanted to keep their captors. Well, but the, in the description of... Uh one of them with the his son he talks about how his the son's mother is like this big orc who's capable of killing people and stuff and mm-hmm. like it, it wasn't a negative like i don't want to be around this uh orc thing oh but the, i think there was some, a lot of negativity thrown to that same orc i mean it was described uh, in the description of the son um whose name it's the one with the ipod right um about how he doesn't want anything to do with mom, and, and mom's pretty much just okay with that. You know, mom doesn't have the the familial connection with. But the he offspring. also didn't want anything to do with dad, and dad wasn't okay with well, that. Well, right, because they were playing the kid up as being an angsty teen. But right, the, but, they, know, but, but, but they're all but at the same time they're playing mom up as being but, just an un, uncaring, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but the thing is, is that obviously, like, I don't, I can't say obviously, but in a situation where you are the product of rape, you're going to have complicated oh, feelings yeah. towards your parents. However, the the feelings of the dwarf captives towards the orcs is mm-hmm. problematic. Yeah. Well, and and I think it's 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 largely a resignation. Like they've given up. Um, and they don't think that anything, which is not inconsistent with somebody who's gone through some serious abuse sometimes. Um, but I don't know that it's in, it's it's a subject matter that I would have wanted to cross in in a game. You know, and that's my problem with it. No, absolutely, like, yeah. I, I I don't disagree. Uh, I think I think it's something that yeah. that were I to run it, uh, I would kind of rush past this concept and not spend a lot of time dwelling on it because I don't think it would be comfortable for me or anybody else at the table. Right, and but and that's my problem is that they have this. They have uh, pretty m- most of the women are rather vain and wish to y- look young, even if they're lizard people. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Which, why? <laughs> Except for the one red wizard who specifically gave up her view- her beauty to look <laughs> right. like an undead. Right, that's why I said most. Yeah. But yeah, mm-hmm. like it's just over and over again with these things that feel like they're from the 80s and 90s and not 2014, 13. The maddening thing about it is that much of it would – those things would be easy to fix. Now, the problem with the, the rape half-orcs or the rape half-dwarves or whatever you want mm-hmm. to call them, the problem with that is they had to have a reason for the dwarves to still be alive with the orcs in – under Ilfarn yeah. in the in the mountain mine, it's, it's a pretty and so major story that's point. They, yeah, that's what they came up with. So that would have needed a lot of reworking. But I mean, from my point of view, is so then freaking rework it, right? I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. But uh, so that one is not as easy to change. But everything else, like the whole thing with the lizard woman having a mirror, or whatever, you that doesn't need to be in there. You can completely change that. You know, and yeah, yeah. it's just for me, I'd things. have to change so much of it. No, no, no. I don't mean you, Tracy. I mean when they were designing it, those yeah. things be so easy to update into the hello, we're in twenty thirteen. You know, when they were writing this, that they could change those things and make this product not have those things. Mm-hmm. Everything is relatively relatively easy to change, except for the the orc thing. They would have to do a lot of work to find another reason why the orcs and dwarves would still be living there. Which honestly, they could completely rewrite that adventure anyway because that was one of the. Could. That was one of the least interesting, least dynamic parts of the, of the whole thing. It was. It absolutely was. Yep. Yeah. And I want to be clear. I think I I liked a lot of the non-humanoid stuff and a lot of the interaction elements mm-hmm. in the various dungeons. So, like mm-hmm. that, that that was a good thing for me. Uh, but but a lot of the humanoid stuff, I just. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like the orc with the with her boys. <laughs> yeah. That also felt a little weird. Which one? That's not in the swamp, right? That's the yeah. It's in the swamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so I, I thought that was just sort of them playing off of sort of uh, you know a, a couple of of a, a, a family of inbred sort of uh, hillbilly orcs. You know, that was my so, take on them. So the the big issue is uh, which I don't know. It uh, there can be problems with it because the orcs are darker skinned. Oh, but yeah, sure. I didn't. I mean, I didn't pick up on that, but it. But it. I. I believe. And, and the use of Mama. Uh, what was her name? Uga. Yeah, I don't remember what her name yeah, was. Yeah, something like that. And her boys, 
like I, and I know I know it can easily go to the the other type of mm-hmm. white redneck stereotype, but it didn't quite feel right. Yeah, well, and and if you noted that they had darker skin, I didn't I didn't remember reading that. But if it's in there, then that is is an well, issue. Or orcs do right. Oh, okay. So it doesn't specifically call out, but they're just no, no, no. Okay. Yeah, can, in can that. I, yeah, go ahead, Sam. Can uh, I bring up a problem? Yes, it's your turn. You it's can... it's eighteen dollars. Yes. <laughs> in a PDF, yeah. Does anybody else have a problem with the fact that it's a PDF for eighteen bucks, and it's half of it is already out of date? Well, I I didn't I don't I have I have the paper <laughs> so yeah. I bought well, it I have the paper but... too yeah but still. And so does you know, Tracy. Like, but think about the only yet. reason, yeah, you know, the only way, yeah, us lucky, us lucky, you know, insiders, uh, uh, or those who are at Gen Con and bought it there, are going to get it as PDF. And if it was ten bucks, I'd be, you know, like, hey, I think it's fine. You know, I'd sure. go ahead and steal, you know, take it and rip it apart and take the parts you like and use it however you want to make your right. to run your game. Mm-hmm. But for eighteen bucks, like, I, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather spend. 20 bucks on four different classic D&D adventures they have there. And I get to hand pick which ones I which ones I want. So I, I I thought the price I think the price is expensive and I hope they they lower it. Yeah, I think um, they've been consistently with the the newer stuff, they consistently still kept higher prices on things. How much is Vault of the Draculich? But like Eyes of the Lich Queen, I've been looking at that cuz I'm I'm going to convert that to 4th edition and run it. And Eyes of the Lich Queen yeah, is okay. still listed at 15 bucks. Vault of the Draculich is 5. So, and that, you know, I mean, it's not as big. It's only one adventure, the equivalent to one adventure. Um, but that's, that, you know, that's a reasonable price for, I think, what, what you get from it. And I think 10 for this would be a pretty reasonable price. I think they're charging hey, for the listen, whole thing. Listen, it has some of Jared's artwork in it, so it has to be worth the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is he getting a commission? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think that art was paid for a long time yep. ago. So... Um, yeah, so I just I, know he was very happy. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, so I had three. I had three real problems. One, I think it's too expensive. Two, I don't, I don't like the railroaded plot. Um, and three, I think that half of it is is kind of useless at this point. Like, I think I think half the book you could kind of tear out because of the, the how to play stuff. Yeah, and and it's okay. I actually I love I love that Watsi is is putting energy into writing adventures that are system agnostic because I think it'd be really cool to run these with Thirteenth Age if you if yeah. you have players that want to run that way or Fate Core if you want you know more of a story focused thing or or Dungeon World. So I like that they're making material that's now usable with you know mm-hmm. whatever game system you like. Um, you could easily map some of the factions, the major factions in this group, yeah, to the icons. That would be sure. really nice. Sure. Um, so I, I like that they're going that direction. I like that they went that direction with this. Um, and like I said, I think like if you were, you know, if you were in a vacuum and you didn't have any access to the newer iterations of D and D Next, um, and kind of didn't know, you know, weren't tied into like what some of the issues were with this compared to the other ones. I think this would be actually like not a bad sort of keep on the Shadowfell sort of thing, right? Keep on the Shadowfell before 4E came out was kind of an all-in-one, you know, adventure mm-hmm. that included right. regents and everything you needed to play. So I, I like it from that perspective, I guess. But like, I'm not going to use the the playtest that's in there because now I have the newer playtest. Um, so I, I feel like half the book isn't really that useful yeah um and I, again i wouldn't mind except that i feel like i'm getting charged for the other sure the other half mm-hmm. um 
I think we mentioned in the beginning that the plot is pretty railroady. They automatically determine that you're going to lose. And when I first read that, I said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, <laughs> if, if I, I, you know, I got to leave it up to the players. If they get a hold of it, they get a hold of mm-hmm. it. But that's the worst. Like, and I, I didn't, I guess, and maybe I didn't read it real carefully. And you guys can correct me. Are there moments where, like, the players have the important elements in hand and then they're ripped from them? Or is it pretty much like they always just get there too late? It's almost always they get there too late, with the exception yeah. of the fire one in the Dwarven place. And what happens there? Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and this is actually gets into one of my issues, um, is that it's, in, it's buried in the, the anvil altar thing. Mm-hmm. And the only way to get it out is with a specific hammer that the crazy dwarf king has hidden away in a place that nobody will ever find. Mm-hmm. And and the only way to get it from him is to to mention a very specific phrase. And the only way you would ever know that phrase is if you cast uh, speak with dead with the other dwarf king back in town uh, after he died and asked a very mm-hmm. specific question and then got that phrase and then figured out to say that phrase at the exact right time in order to get the the crazy king to realize what was going on and give you the, the ha- hammer. But then the crazy king doesn't even realize it. He lies to you because he doesn't want to be called a liar. Like, he doesn't want to be found out. Mm-hmm. So he turns away and you have to really press him to actually get him to yeah. give you the thing that he needs to give you so you can do the thing that you need to do. Right. There's multiple occasions where yeah. I feel like the most interesting... <laughs> option to, to 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 do in the adventure and this is my big complaint the, the, the most interesting thing to do the most interesting outcome uh is the most unlikely to happen because the actions needed are so obscure or specific mm-hmm. that nobody would ever think to do them right that's one example and then the last adventure is the other one where you basically are given the the, the really hard choice of okay do we leave the portal open and let and let you know creatures from the the nine hells flood into the world or do, does Esteval sacrifice himself and, it, and and i like having that sort of choice and then there's there's a secret third option of you can throw the holy right. symbol in except at no point in time were you given any hint that that mm-hmm. holy symbol would be infused with sort of the soul energy of its former apprentice to to give you at least a clue that that would be an option. Well, right. and like these are the areas where uh, stereotypes and tropes help, right? It could help because because sure. you would guess it then, given what you, mm-hmm. what people know, mm-hmm. right? Uh, rather than using it in these other elements that don't make as much to yeah. me as much sense. Yeah. So yeah, that's one of the. Those are the two things that, that drove me crazy. Because like, okay, if I'm going to run this adventure, those are two very specific things. I have to find other ways to introduce because but otherwise, is, it's totally shot. But so let me give you an example, Jeff. Of if the reason why that drives me nuts because you know what? That's an easy mistake to make to do that kind of thing. Like with the weird old crazy dwarf guy. Here's the thing, though. It's really easy to fix. What you do is you put some symbology around his room somewhere, and you make it obvious that if somebody looks in that direction, they see this thing. You know, in this case, it's an owl. They have to mention an owl. Mm-hmm. So rather than have them have to say this exact phrase, have them be able to find that symbol right. somewhere and happen to mention, wow, that's a really intricate owl design on that stone. Uh, that looks like it's engraved with gold or whatever, you know, who I'm just making it up. Mm-hmm. But and then the mention of that thing sends the crazy guy either into a really lucid state or in, further into his madness, but he rips off his necklace and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's so easy to work around what they did. It, it and instead they made it, it they made around. it a very 
What's yeah. that? It, it should be easy for them to work around. I, I, I wouldn't want to right. to shovel that off onto every DM to have to fix their mistake. Right. That's what I'm saying, though, is that f- the way that they did it was you have to say this exact – mention this exact phrasing, and then it will suddenly make this person do this, and then you have to do something else, and then it can happen. And it drives me crazy they, because I've, yeah. had, I've had pitches specifically rejected for these very reasons. Right. You know? It's like, no, you're doing it way worse oh, than I ever was. There's a lot of – yeah. <laughs> right. There's a lot of stuff in there where yeah. – yeah. I had stuff edited that <laughs> ended up making it into stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think it actually feels a little bit like a, uh, um, you know, like like something that's half published. Mm-hmm. And like there are multiple areas where you have those huge blocks of read aloud text, and there are read aloud mm-hmm. texts where two P- NPCs are having a conversation with each other slightly, like at the yeah. very beginning. So what happens with the fire thing? So here's the thing. If you don't get the hammer, if you can't figure out that obscure weird owl reference and ask the crazy guy, the Rakshasa Rakshasa gets the hammer. You have to find some way for the – they just – by the time they figure it out, they can't get it or they end up leaving without figuring it out and having to leave and defeat and not not – Taking it back to Daggerford, and then that means so, that the Rakshasa gets. Well, it. and that's the other thing is that is that we, you guys talk about it being railroady, but at the same time, the railroad tracks don't even lead necessarily into the adventure. Some of the times, it just leads up to it, and then you go home. Like right. if you if you yeah. if you play out the hook that is provided in the first adventure, you go to the dragon layer, and then you leave. You never go into the dungeon. <laughs> you never go into the whole dragon right. thing. You never go into that because none of that was part of your goal. Your goal right. was just to find the layer and then go back and report. Yeah. Well, but. See, then that leads to why they have my major problem, or one of my major problems, and that is the Rakshasa, who happens to pop up anytime the players need to be pointed in a certain direction because they are only going to go to the door and not yeah. knock on it. There is, a, there is a DM character in almost every adventure, isn't there? Not almost. There is. Is there one, one in, in all of them? Is there yeah. one in the second one? Who's the, the DM character in the second one? It's the Rakshasa again. Again? Yeah. I thought he was just the one in the first. Yeah. I thought the Rakshasa took off. I guess that's the third adventure. He takes third off adventure the third takes one. off. Okay. Yeah. But in the third one, you've got the... Is it the elves? Third, yeah, third one, you've got the, the elf guy that goes with you. And in the, four, he's, and in the fourth one, in Esteval the, goes with you. He's in the third one again. It's just... Because he can walk in on you. Remember when you're talking to the crazy old king? He can walk in, the Rakshasa. Right. So he's in everyone. He's just not a DMPC. Well, he's not the way they use it in the first and second one. Right. So but, you, want, you want to hear my list of horrible things? Or Sorry, Tracy. Go ahead. I just had a quick question. Uh, some of these things that we were talking about with uh, needing to know the exact phrase to talk to the right person at the right mm-hmm. time – if the adventure had been written like some of the older ones were, where you could easily rerun it for people and have mm-hmm. it feel fresh, that could make more sense to me. Yeah, no, and that and that's what I, that, that's what I wonder if they weren't trying to capture some of that from the older editions, it, but that isn't doesn't work, <laughs> you know, unless, unless you're going to rerun the same adventure over and over again, which I'm not interested in doing that mo- almost all the yeah. time. Um, you know, it, it, yeah, it doesn't, you know. It doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. But even then, just throwing in a sentence like, oh, if the if the PCs didn't talk to the dead brother, then, you know, here are some ways you can let them get around that and still make it feel authentic. Right. I mean, they add one freaking paragraph. There's oh, no, plenty I know, of room. I, yeah. I no, I, I know what you're saying, though. That, yeah. 
I think they definitely could have used a lot more instead of those post-it notes, maybe actual help. <laughs> their little snide comments. Yeah. Yeah. We know your mama jokes are acronistic. <laughs> That's not what was bothering me about them. I don't care if they're anachronistic. They were stupid and sucky and offensive. Is what <laughs> I don't care if they, if they're anachronistic. Yeah, the, and it was unnecessary. So that was one of my problems with that particular adventure. Is that and who's, that whole who's Matt? Scene, I'm sorry. What? Go ahead. That whole scene, and then I'll ask about who Matt is. That whole scene is completely unnecessary. They don't the even play? have the puppet show there. It's absolutely unnecessary. Well, so, it's, I, I think they, they over-described it, but I, I think it's kind of a little funny bit that, like, you know, you, you've already built a reputation enough yeah. where little puppeteers have made puppets. Right. I think that's kind of a fun detail. I think it's bu- build, building the players. Right. Like, as a GM, right. I think it's important that you kind of, like, it's a great opportunity for you to make fun of your players. Uh-huh. Uh, but but also recognize their, their growing funny, importance. Though. Except yeah, it wasn't right. funny. No, no, they could, that's they could have done it in a better you, way. <laughs> yeah, to make funny, like you just say, here's where you make fun of all the, you know, mm-hmm. you know, make fun of your players. Yeah, but mm. relive their their failures when they rolled the one. Play that <laughs> yeah, out exactly. <laughs> right, the they got something scene. that bothers them. The the puppeteers know about it. Mm. You know. Um. So. Uh, so uh, just not not to go back to the stupid fire thing again. So mm. what? Does that is is the idea that the the PCs will actually be able to walk away with it if they do everything right, or is it still going to get nabbed from their hand? Uh, no, yeah. they can they, they can, can actually take it to yeah. Istival and okay. he'll he'll deal with it. Yeah, he, okay. he, they basically set it up so that I mean, if everything goes right, the PCs get it, they walk away with it, and then they give it to Estival for for safekeeping, mm-hmm. which I presume just means safekeeping until it gets stolen, so that they yeah, can tell right. the story so- they need to later on. And right. one set of NPCs steals it from another set of NPCs. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So I, I have a question. Like, how this is something that I've done in other games where I've had sort of, you know, the PCs are on a quest to recover stuff at the same time a, a group of villains is on the quest to recover stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the idea a lot. Like, I like the idea that there's, you know, this sort of race, you know, this race going on. The problem is, like, if you need all of them, somebody's getting hosed. Right. Like right. if the players, if the PCs get one of the items and the bad guys needed all of them, then you, you're either going to take it from the PCs or not. Right. In which case, right. the villains are like, well, I guess we lost. Right. Like after the very first one. So right. what's, you know, I'm not, it, it, I, I've, I've done that before. And if you were going to run an adventure like this, and I, the way I would run it is I would not presuppose what happens to those keys. Right. I would, mm. I, I would probably follow along like, you know, some of the stuff they have in here where some of the keys have already been recovered because that kind of makes sense. Sure. It's, it's starting in the middle of the quest already because right. mm-hmm. the guys has been captured and executed right away. Um, so I kind of dig that idea. But, I, you know, I think ultimately I kind of want the PCs to be able well, to get all the items. Actually, what you bring up is one of my lists of bad things. So Let's, let's get into your list of, of so so my So my – no, no, it's fine. So – as much as I think that, that that scene at the beginning is great where they hang the, the wizard with his eyes sewn shut and all that so he can't cast a spell, the PCs are observing. They are doing nothing. They have nothing to do with that. So that's a problem. As much as, as much as it's a great way to hook them into, ooh, what's going on? This is something major. Let them be involved. Like yeah. – Give something that will that will make it meaningful to them because at the point where they see it, 
it means absolutely nothing. Mm. So uh, it's not that – I mean, it's not a huge major thing, but it's one of those things where I read it and I thought, wow, that's a great scene. But they're just watching and they need, they need to care about it first. Well, that's one of those things can where I, – Can I disagree? Sure, absolutely. Because I think, I think that one of the interesting things about it, it – it reminds me a little bit of the movie L.A. Confidential. Right. That it, it's it's really interesting. And, and they do this a lot in mysteries where the mystery has already occurred. Right. The crime has already been committed. And the whole rest of the story is about uncovering what exactly had occurred. So the idea that you had a major villain and instead of having the villain all the way at the end of the adventure and you have to hunt them down and kill them, the, the villain dies in the first scene. But his plot has been going on and is still going on. And you're dissecting it piece by piece as you go. And you, you don't get a chance to fight him because he's already dead. But this, this, you know, this long series of events that has been underway and is still going underway is still continuing. I think, I right. think that's except, an interesting – Except that then the quest you go on seemingly has nothing to do with that guy. Well, the first three do. And well, no, yeah. but you don't know that at first, though. You don't know until you return to Daggerford at the end of the first adventure, and Istival looks worried that the shrine has been broken. Yeah. And then he figures out, oh, the Red Wizards must be doing whatever. And then he might fill you in, and he might not. Mm. And yeah, I, did, I, would, I would probably you know, throw some more. You're right, and I would throw some more seeds in in that first one to kind of make it yeah, clear. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, and that's what something trying, they have to pay attention to. I, maybe I wasn't as good at saying it as as you know. I was trying to be quick, but you know, so that's what I mean. Where it sort of throws it, and you see it, and so on one part, that's really good foreshadowing that oh, these guys are going to become important. But on the other hand, then they seem to drop it until way later, mm. and I feel like that's not necessarily the way to go with the with it necessarily. But maybe I don't know. So so that's one thing. So go ahead. I was just going to say, though, uh, depending on how you want the players to feel about their characters, whether they're just another person in the crowd until they distinguish themselves, or uh, if you follow more of a, a movie arc where it's obvious that they have something important about them, you could also, at the very beginning, uh, have them be official witnesses to the to the guy mm-hmm. getting killed mm-hmm. and have them be the ones that recognize that the tattoos are moving. Right. Yeah. I was thinking that I would use sort of a, if I were to run it, I would use a sort of randomized background situation um, where, you know, I would actually have some of the players end up being members of the militia or whatever. And they would be the, you know, maybe one of them is the executioner or one of them is, you know, maybe they're the guards up on, up on the, the stage or whatever. Well, here's how I added, here's how I got my players into this particular adventure. I had a little pre-adventure um, where, they got accused. So actually, it sort of spontaneously showed up because I do this background thing and, and I make them interconnect their backgrounds. Yeah. And one of and the rogue, his background was that he was hired by this group of thugs or whatever to steal something. And he couldn't do it without the help of this wizard. And then the wizard went to go get payment and the guy who was supposed to pay them was dead. And they got accused of the crime. So they had to flee and go figure out something. Well, now they've been forced to come back to town and they think they're going to get arrested for the crime because they couldn't, they can't prove that they didn't do it. They thought they were going to be able to, and then they didn't get the thing they needed. And now it's going to turn out that this other guy got caught in the meantime, and he's being hanged. Mm. So they really care about that because they're like, sure. okay, we were set up, and now he's dead, and now they're really invested. Mm. Cool. And it was really easy to do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Other problems. We're at an hour so and eight other minutes. Um, the first one, the Rakshasa. He has to lead the players by the nose. 
Okay. Right. So I I don't like that idea. The second one is um, I think I mentioned this in the pre-show discussion, but um, at the end of the first adventure, you're supposed to be fourth level. But to get to fourth level, you would need like five times the amount of experience that is required that 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 you could that you could gain from this adventure unless you kill both the rakshasa and the black dragon which is probably not going to happen but the thing is that there's no way for the dm to know that because the character advancement xp tables are not in this book anywhere so you but then they don't suggest that you have some somewhat of an alternative way to give xp they don't suggest quest xp they don't suggest uh how many xp to award and therefore that makes them x level they don't do any of that so i hope that when they do the actual you know when they release the core books and whatnot that they actually remedy that and give really good advice about how to to -hmm. do experience and that kind of thing. They could go go, uh, or they do have a couple of throwaway spots where it's like if if your characters are a little bit short on on level at this point, mm-hmm. they can always go back to town and train with their mentors. And it's like, right? I, I didn't think training with mentors was supposed to earn XP. And if right. it did, I could sit in school all day and walk out fifteenth level. You know, right? And besides, as the DM, if I only have this book, I don't even know how much XP to award for that, and I don't know how much they need to get to the next level. So anyway, that's sort of a pet peeve that is. Just probably an oversight. On the other hand, in the DM's guide part of the book, they have the ta- – the t- or the I think it's the how to play section where they talk about what the ability scores and what your modifier is. They have that table in there twice, but they don't have the character <laughs> no advancement table. So you know, I think there's just some editing errors there. So that's one thing. Uh, the second thing was in the first adventure – um, or I guess the third thing, if the Rexosh is number one. The third thing is where they talk about the lizard man disease, they give inconsistent ways or, or results from that on pages 13 and 17. So they have a little editing error there. Mm. Um, my fourth thing was sort of what Mike Shea said that, you know, it's unwinnable. You cannot get the keys. The players are not going to get the keys, and yet it gets set up as that seems to be, you know, once they figure out what the Red Wizards are doing, that's the main goal. But then you make it unattainable and i kind of don't like that which i would almost Um, be willing to forgive if there was a fifth adventure resolving that right right um we mentioned uh the read aloud text there's a lot of it um second adventure the rock shot i like read aloud text well it's okay but there's so much of it in this and the thing is that it would be okay if they if they had it all in here, but then they said, you know what, but as a DM, feel free to paraphrase a lot of this or provide a different means for the characters to get this information, sure. and they, they don't do, do that. They don't do that. So um, second adventure, the Rakshasa, again, blah, okay? Uh, also, the puppets, the Omama jokes, okay, I, I could do without that. It's completely unnecessary. There's a lot of curses. That's a good thing and a bad thing for me. Um, a lot, a lot of curses. Mm-hmm. A lot of curses. If you go into the second adventure, you're going to get cursed. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is, which and, is ironic, right? Because as adventurers, pretty much what you do is go out and rob graves. Right, but right. If, but if you rob a single grave, you are hosed. You know? <laughs> right. So the, so the good thing about that is you learn – because it's they're all curable, right? They're all curable, and by that by the time you get to that adventure, you should probably have enough money to be able to get a cure on well, yourself. Most or, most of those curses, that, I mean, you can just put whatever it is you took back, and the curse goes away. Right, 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 right. right. But it's learning to do that and all that. So right. so that's a good thing and a bad thing. Um, third adventure, Rakshasa again involved. Ugh. Um, <laughs> Well, and you just don't like the Rakshasa, and he's the main you know villain what? of the story. <laughs> I I don't mind him, but the way they do it, he's either leading the players by the nose, or he's completely openly betraying them. And they really, 
they have a little bit of chance to figure it out, but when they do, he just disappears. See, I sort of like the idea of this guy has been manipulating you from the beginning, and I don't think as a DM, I don't think I would play him as leading them from the nose, but more of he's he's an NPC with you, and he's subtly guiding some things here and there. You know. See, here's the thing: everybody that he, everyone that he manifests himself into, ends up betraying the characters, and. I don't want to have to have my players think that every NPC, every NPC is going to betray him is going to betray them because mm-hmm. they will jump to that conclusion after these four adventures. Yeah, I would be afraid that they would sniff him out right away. And, you know, so like I wasn't going to I wasn't planning on having him introduced at all the way they had him introduced in the book. But I like the idea of this this, you know, third wheel character that is also involved, but for a different reason, mm-hmm. who kind of comes in and out of the story. And I would probably make them secondary NPCs rather than primaries. Because yeah. I think that could be interesting. It's like that guard that you talked to at the gate, that was actually him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, just like in, the, in the, the execution scene, he was some random guy in the crowd yelling. Yeah. You know? Not somebody important or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, so on page 75, there's a misplaced sidebar. So we're talking about some wasted space. We've already got a whole bunch of wasted space up to that time. And then on 75, there's a, a sidebar about playing Darwadalian, who is the the red wizard female who right. was in the, the first – mentioned in the first and in the second adventure. Um, that doesn't need to be there. And it's so, you know, I wouldn't mention that because normally it's like, oh, one of those big deal. But there are so many typos and issues like that in this book. It was really like I started. And as you go further and further in the book, there's more and more and more of them. And I could just see the lack of editing because they didn't have time anymore to really go through everything. And that really it just bugs me because I'm anal like that. Um, The thing about the third adventure is that it's got the biggest dungeon, but it's the most boring dungeon. Mm. Um, I mean, it doesn't it, it, have. It's, it's the same trick every time, right? It's the same trick every there's time. There's these magic circles, and sometimes the the right. tunnels collapse, and that's pretty much the only yeah. thing that's got going on. It, it's the most basic dungeon, but it doesn't have all the sort of cool, interesting elements that bring the other two sort of into the realm of, of really nice. So, in other words, snore. Okay. See, and, and I was sort of thinking that that I almost wouldn't even run it as a dungeon so much as that would become the urban adventure. Yeah, it could Wh- which be. one are yeah. we talking about? The the dwarven the dwarf, dwarf orc. Dwarven. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then you know they really miss an opportunity on pages eighty four and one hundred six. The the characters can um can they find these the spell book if they look hard enough? Mm-hmm. Um, and the spells are they have different names, but they're basically just like one of them is a fireball spell, and it's it basically says this is a fireball spell, but it's called this. It's like really. Well, but Hello, lazy. Like you know, get. I mean, so on. So it's on my good and bad list because on. The, for one thing, it it teaches DMs that you know you can change the name of a spell, and it's an opportunity to you know allow the players to try to figure out what that is because they don't know what it is because based on the name they've never heard of. On the other hand, it gives no advice to do that. It gives no advice on how a DM can make that an exciting new find for the players, even though it's just a basic spell. Now, the one on 106, though, is a little bit different, right? Because it's basically like an uh, enervating grasp. It basically says, um, this is shocking grasp, except it mm-hmm. doesn't deals necrotic damage and, instead of yeah. lightning, right? And so they, yeah. they've, well, tweaked, that, they've tweaked them a little bit. Right. Well, that's why I say this is on my good and bad list, because right. one of them is, is done okay, and the other one is okay, but not great. Um, so it's, you know, it's a plus and minus. You could see where they're sort of playing with things, but then they don't give any advice to the DM, and I wish they would. Um, and um, and the, the, my last note on that, Jeff, you'll appreciate that, is how to get the effing hammer, which is <laughs> extensively about um, 
And then uh, the last, um, the last adventure, Dragon Spear Castle. I've already said it feels tacked on because of the way that that it does. Um, it has some good things though that I didn't mention, um, but it has some some. I don't know some bad things. It's the setup is not as good because there's time in between the third adventure and fourth adventure, but it doesn't really tell you much about it. Um, mm-hmm. They get their travel times wrong. They say it's going to take three days, and then they give you read aloud text that says it only took two days. You know, it's once again, it's one of those really lame editing errors that that bug me. And actually, I see um, I see some inconsistencies with with. Um I don't. Know, I guess you, you you might call it realms lore as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that kind of goes along with the inconsistencies that Tracy's pointed out between the the way the setting has been pitched to us and the way it's being mm-hmm. portrayed uh, right. in terms of women. But but um, it, it's even more like subtle than that, or subtler, or maybe I'm being trivial or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but in the realms, they don't have weeks. They have mm-hmm. ten days, right? right? Which are ten days long. But in, in the, sometimes in the same chapter or in the same adventure, they're saying, oh, this mm. thing happens for a week, and then the next 10 day this happens. What? No. Right. Yeah. It's the realms. Yeah. It should be 10 days. And if it's not going to be 10 days and you're just going to call it a week, then let's just call it a week. But let's quit right. going back and forth, you know? It's like they want it to be a shortcut so someone wouldn't have to know realms lore to get that. But they didn't want to put in the extra two sentences that it would take to explain it. Right. You know? But, well, so, you know, the concept of yeah. a 10 day is really hard to get to understand. It's in the name. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I know. But you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I mean. Like, they chose to sort of dumb down the easiest possible thing. You know what I mean? Right. And yet it would have only taken a sentence to explain it. Even if somebody didn't understand, oh, what's a 10-day? Well, it's not a week. They don't use weeks. They have 10-day periods right. that are chunks of time that they refer to. Or, okay, or, big deal. Or if That's they it. just decided to ignore it and just go with a week, I'd be okay with um, that too. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they didn't. They jump back and yeah. forth. Yeah. Well, there's another inconsistency in the in the location thing that I'll talk about in a second that you'll probably laugh at because it's a lore, a lore thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, – the the one then they in the Daggerford uh, in the Dagger Spear Castle they they um <laughs> they have all these spots under the castle where oh that's beyond the scope of this adventure, um, but then they don't really I mean I, so this is also on the good and bad because they don't belabor the point but then they're like feel free to develop this as much as you want and it's like but that's all the hints you're gonna give me what if I don't have all of the previous like realms lore to help me do that and what if my characters insist on looking at those I have nothing well and they've sort of um, hinted at that, that that's where a bunch of und- undead have fled mm-hmm. to and uh, right no. I don't yeah. know. It's just their way of then, sort of saying, yeah. "Hey, the adventure is ending it." But if you want to expand it, there's, right. there's some stuff you can explore down there. Right. Well, but that's what I mean. Like, so that's why it's good and bad because it, it, you know. Um, and then the, my last, um, my last, my last two comments. The last encounter with the Death Knight um, seems thrown in just for the purpose of of connecting the fourth adventure to the first one, which makes me say, "Woo woo, all aboard!" Because really, otherwise, the fourth adventure is impossible to connect without a whole lot of work on the front end by the DM when he gives sort of the storyline to these to the players. Um, because the the last uh, the last adventure, the one that the book is named for, has nothing to do with the elemental keys. Mm-hmm. So the players don't even get to finish that storyline; they have to wait, and then it's not even probably going to be these players. Um, and then <laughs> here's my here's my lore thing. So in in the location thing, it talks about Istval being a paladin of Amonator or however you pronounce that. Amonator. But yeah, but he believes actually in Lathander. 
and that everything that he wears is like the Lathander symbology, and he talks about Lathander, and he prays Lathander, all this kind of stuff. And so much so that the cleric in town actually also is a Lathander person, whatever. And then it says, you know, oh, well, it's to the point where, you know, some of the Aminadar people would, the higher priests or whatever, would consider it heretical that that Istival, a paladin, is like praising Lathander. But then when Istival goes and they have that sort of pivotal moment where he prays into the, the holy symbol of his former squire or whatever who got killed, he prays to Aminadar, not to Lathander. And that – I wouldn't have caught that or even bothered with it except that holy symbol, like you mentioned earlier, is the sort of third trick way to close the portal without letting Istvul die. So what's that about? Like it seems like, once again, another kind of weak editing error where they didn't catch something that is an inconsistency. And maybe I only caught it because I read the thing you know, cover to cover, but mm-hmm. – you know, and I don't know a whole yeah, lot I mean, about ju- just, lore, so just, I catch the things that don't sort of match sure. up, whereas maybe other people would have just zoomed over it. Just the four adventures, I, I don't remember the Lathander thing ever even coming up. They, they didn't, and that's what I mean. Right. It's like, just, it's it's just point, in the end. Yeah. Why make a point of saying this thing about Istvoy? So much so that it's heretical. Mm-hmm. And yet they never, ever say anything Which about it. Which is interesting. It. I mean, uh, and, and as, as, a, as a minor realms Lorian here, uh, uh, a monitor and Lathander are actually the same god. Right, right. No, I know. Okay. But so much so that he prefers Lathander over a monitor that it's heretical to the people who right. really praise a monitor. So let's make a big deal out of that, but then not even really mention and never, it. Never make, yeah, yeah, and be inconsistent and with it in the adventure. There's, there's one really funny typo I have to say. There's On page 139, it's talking about an orc raid on some someplace. I think probably Dragonspear Castle is talking about history. And instead of saying orc raid, it says or raid. So I had all these images of these giant blocks of stone and silver coming in and attacking. Oh. <laughs> All right, that's a. This has been a long episode for a PDF. Yeah. Any last thoughts, or shall we uh, close things up? It's a long PDF. It is a long PDF. That's true. <laughs> it's a long PDF. Have we gotten eighteen dollars worth of conversation out of it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this thing up and call it over. I want to thank our guest Sam Dillon. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. If people want to find you on the interwebs, where will they do it? Uh, they can do it on Twitter at DM Samuel or on the interwebs at RPGmusings.com. And Mike Shea. Yo. Where are, where are we going to find you? Slyflourish.com and Twitter.com slash Slyflourish. And we also want to thank our sponsor, Noble Knight Games. Uh, at noblenight.com and I want to thank all of you for supporting us either by shopping at Noble Knight and telling them you came from us or using our affiliate links with Amazon or D&D Classics. You can get a hold of us at thetomeshow at gmail.com or by calling 919-BIZ-TOME that's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E and you can find show notes and other great Tome Show shows over at thetomeshow.com <laughs> And that wow. is episode... <laughs> 230, where we've thrown the paladin into the portal to the Nine Hells as we reviewed Ghosts of Dragonspear Castle in this episode of (laughs) 
欢迎猫和我。